all right we are back um and we got a brand new pursuit once again all right welcome to crime pursuit podcast i am your host ed bounds along with jackie fest heather france and Paige royal all right las vegas october of 2016 a gunman came into the apartment of sydney land executing her and her boyfriend Sydney's family had no idea the truths that were about to come to light. From manipulations, corruption, human trafficking, prostitution, and unbelievable cover-ups in this case. Another cover-up. And I hate these. I really do. Another damn cover-up. These are deep cover-ups. But when you say deep, this is serious deep. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. um, We have a very special guest with us. This, this lady, she's just remarkable. Um, I have had numerous conversations with her, and I just feel really bad for this. She's just been really upset with this, and it just seemed like nobody's trying to help, especially when it comes to the police. You know, right. um, I guess, I don't know. When I hear a grieving mother, I just, I just automatically have sympathy. I don't care if the kid was on drugs or if their son or daughter that got murdered, if they were on drugs, whether they was prostitute. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So A life is a life. Yeah, I definitely agree. Okay, we have Connie with us, and she is the mother of Sydney Land. Connie, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, so, you know, me and you had several conversations. You know, you spoke with Jackie. You spoke with uh, uh, Heather and, and Paige. Take us back to, first of all, who was your daughter? Tell us about the good stuff, you know, your baby. Sydney is the oldest child. She's my firstborn of four kids. Sydney was one of the most beautiful people you'd ever meet. And I know every parent would say that, but she really was. And Sydney was a very loyal friend. You know, people say, who's your three o'clock in the morning friend when you get a flat tire and you need somebody? Sydney was exactly that person. And she was that for anyone, everyone that she knew. Sydney was not a judgmental person. She would, she would go, Mom, why can't you just accept people for who they are? Why do you have to be so judgmental? Why can't you just love people? That was Sydney. She loved kids. She was very quiet until she got to know you. And then she was really uh, funny, you know, funny and quirky and just a really beautiful soul. She was very, people loved being around her because she had a very soothing element about her. She just was an enjoyable person and someone you'd want to be around. I think the, the most, the best way to encapsulate Sydney, she was quiet and stubborn, but, but very loving. And Sydney one time, and this is, this is Sid, she had, put, she had written post-it notes and she probably had 150 post-it notes. And on each post-it note, she wrote something that she thought about each one of her siblings. So for Kendall, her youngest sister, she put, you are beautiful, you are a great sister, you are loving, you are kind. And on each post-it note, she put something beautiful, a compliment, an attribute, something she thought about them around their mirror. So when they came into their rooms, they were around their desk or around their mirror. And she did it for them, to each one of them. That was Sydney. She was just very thoughtful and, and very giving and very loving and, and always thought the best of people, believed in the best, that people didn't matter where they were, what they were doing. She believed in who they could be. Okay. 
let's go back to the situation where she was murdered. Take it, give our listeners a, a, a complete start of what happened with that. <laughs> you know, we, Sydney had not been dating Nehemiah for very long. My understanding is they met in August of 2016, so just a few months before she was killed. Mm. And at the time of the murder, she hadn't been living with him for more than about a month and a half before they were killed. Okay. So this was not a long-standing relationship. This was not a, you know, the years and I mean it was a few months. It was a it was a new relationship and it escalated really really fast. The first time I met, met Nehemiah, the first time we saw Nehemiah, he had pulled up to the house and he did not get out of that car to introduce himself. He stayed in the car and we were out in the yard working and different things like that. And, and Sydney came out and they left. And so my husband was not happy. He thought that was not the appropriate thing to do. If a guy's there to, you know, pick up our daughter, he can introduce himself. Right. And that was Steve's first interaction, Steve's, um, Sydney's father. I met Nehemiah, and the first time I met Nehemiah, we were getting our teeth cleaned at the dentist, and Kendall or Sydney brought Neo to the dentist. I spoke to him for a few minutes, very briefly, and then Sydney brought him over, I think, the next day or two after, and we spoke briefly. He was he was a really nice guy, and, you know, didn't think anything of it. It wasn't until after that we found out after I had gotten a phone call from the dentist, and she had said, hey, Con, I don't know how to tell you this, but there was some really disturbing behavior in the, um, at the dental office after you left. Neil would not leave Sydney alone in the exam room. He demanded that, she, that he be in there with her, and, and the dentist had to kick him out. And she goes, he was really possessive of her, and it was very concerning. I just wanted to let you know. That was a big red flag for me. Hmm. And Sydney was distancing, becoming a little more distant. She had said she was moving into an apartment with some friends that she worked with at the Palms. And she, she worked at a phenomenal restaurant called the Palms Restaurant in Caesars Palace, making great money. She was making really, 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 really good money there. And so, but they had been closed for the summer while they were remodeling. So Sydney said, Mom, I'm moving in with some friends and um, some girlfriends that work at the restaurant. They're not going to charge me rent. And I had told Sid, you know, Sid, you've, you haven't worked all summer. Don't move out. They're not going to let you rent, for, you know, live there rent-free. Save your money. Get back into school. Rebuild your savings. And then, you know, move out later. And, of course, she didn't listen. And we start finding that Neil's driving her car. Well, I have co-signed on the car. And little things started happening. And, you know, other incidents happened where I got a phone call from a, a car dealership that said that Neo had, had gone over there with Sydney and I told him to trade in the car and it was on, in fact it was September 24th 2016 and I had told this car salesman my daughter's coming in to see about trading in this car and I told Sydney if you want to let him drive your car that's fine you, can, you want Neo to drive your car that's fine but he's, he's not driving my car and he, you're on my insurance this isn't going to happen. And so I got a call from the car dealership, the car salesman after, and he said, Mrs. Land, I just want you to know that that kid that was with your daughter was so disrespectful. He was so belittling. He was calling her names. He told her that he didn't want to be in a, in a Sentra. He wanted to be in a Dodge or a BMW, and he wanted her to get a BMW that he could drive. He said, if I wasn't working, I would have clocked him. Whatever you do, if it, if it was my daughter 
my niece, my granddaughter, I would do whatever I could to get her away from him. Oh. Mrs. Lynn, he's a bad guy. Get your daughter away from him. So I met with Sydney for lunch that day, and I said, listen, Sydney, this is what's happened at the dentist office. This is I don't know what's going on here, but if you do not get away, if you do not... You know, if you don't get away from him, it's going to end tragically for you. And we will do everything that we can to protect you. But if you continue to go around these roadblocks, there's not, I said, it's going to, it's, it will end tragically. And I have never used those words tragically. I don't know. I, I probably didn't fully understand when I said that, that what was really going, I had no idea what was coming. Well, let me ask you this. Yeah. Is this the first uh, black guy she's ever dated that you know of? Yes. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. You know, and it's not that that's, but it's not that that's uncommon. My sister's, her husband's black, and you know they've been married for twenty some years. So our family is an interracial family okay. that Sydney really didn't have. Yeah. So race wasn't really a big thing for us. It was more, you know, we didn't. It's not like we didn't like Neil because he was black or whatever. It, it was. It's not a color thing for us. It's how you treat our daughter thing or our kid thing. You know, and I don't care what color that right. is. Right. And, and I agree with that. Yeah, I absolutely. would just. I was just curious. I was just curious yeah. because, you know, in most cases. When white women date black men, if it's the first black man they have ever dated, they usually don't let them mistreat them. They they be like, wait a minute. No, I'm not. This is not happening. Uh, you know, but I live in Indiana. That's what we do here. I you know, know, I think that for Sydney, I think that Neil was probably very nice to her. I think he was very private about what he was involved in. Sydney was pretty naive. And Sydney, it's not like as beautiful as Sydney was. Sydney didn't have boyfriends. She was not promiscuous. She didn't have a boyfriend in high school. She didn't have a boyfriend in college. She had a lot of friends that they, you know, like they would all go hang out. She had a lot of guy friends and a lot of girlfriends, and they would all go hang out and do things as groups. That was how Sydney was. So Neil was probably really her first boyfriend and you know or serious boyfriend and you know sydney was very easygoing i'm sorry to cut you off could you um say that neo was kind of manipulative in the relationship um yeah i i think so i think that you know sydney was very because of sydney's personality she was a very easy target yes exactly uh, neo was involved in a lot of really bad things prior to meeting sydney it's not like he wasn't involved in anything and then he got into it and they had been together. And so I think that for her, for him, she was a really easy target. She was beautiful. Mm-hmm. She was making great money. She, you know, she was making really good money at the restaurant. She was very trusting. She was very kind. And so for him to treat her nicely, to, you know, be really nice, she drove him around. He didn't have a car. He didn't have an apartment. He didn't have a job. Sydney had her car. Sydney had a good job. She got the apartment in her name and he wasn't paying it. She was. Yeah. This was a very yeah, it was I think very quickly it it's she got involved in something and soon after they got involved, you know, there are death threats that are taking place. And so I think it spiraled out of control really quickly for her. It became control. The web. So it basically just became control. Yeah. We know he was controlling her phone, who she was talking to. My daughter, Kendall, would call Sydney, and Neil had her phone. And Sydney would say, please, Neil, just let me talk to my sister. Or Sydney would answer the phone, and she would say, Neil, it's no one. It's just my sister. Please let me talk to her. 
I know that some of her friends after Sydney passed said that they would call Sydney and Neil would answer her phone and he wouldn't let her talk to him. Oh, wow. That's, and, that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it was really bad. Yeah, it was very bad. And, and so, you know, it was just this complete manipulation. There was another one, one of Sydney's really good friends that she's known since junior high. She said Frankie and Neo did not like her good friends because they were keeping her from them. I know Sydney had made a comment. Um, I had taken Sydney's car away and she was really upset that Neil was driving the car and I wasn't going to allow that. And one of her coworkers, and unfortunately it was after, they said we offered to, we would offer to give Sydney a ride home and she said, oh no, Neil would kill me. He'll kill me if I get a ride home. Um, let's start off when you found out the news about your daughter. So Preston had, my son Preston had called me and it was about 1230 on October 27th and he called me and he said, Mom, have you talked to Sid? And I hadn't. I hadn't talked to her for a couple of days. And I said, no, why? And I think the last time I talked to her was the Monday I'd been out of town saying my mother was passing, she was dying. So I went out of state to say goodbye to my mom. And I got home late Sunday night and I talked to Sydney on Monday. And um, I had asked her if she needed a ride to work. And she's, I said, do you want to come over? I made mashed potatoes. She said, Sydney loved mashed potatoes. She goes, no, thank you, though. And I, she goes, I have to work. I said, sweetheart, do you need a ride to work? She goes, no. And that was the last time I spoke to Sydney. So on the 27th, Preston calls me and he goes, Mom, have you talked to Sid? And I'm like, no, Preston, why? And he goes, I don't know, Mom, let me call you back. And he hangs up. And I call him back and I said, Preston, what's going on? He goes, nothing, Mom. I've got to call you back. And he hangs up. And I could hear the anxiety in his voice. And I called him back. I go, Preston, what in the world is going on? He goes, Mom, Frankie and Lauren, Sydney's cousin Lauren Harvey, are, are, they have tried to get in touch with Sydney, and she's not, they can't get in touch with her. I said, Preston, go get over to the apartment. Go make sure that everything's okay. So he was on, he wasn't home at the time, and so he was heading over to the apartment. He calls back, and there was just, I knew. He didn't say anything. I go, she's dead, isn't she? Mm. And he was crying. He said, oh, Mom, she's gone. And, of course, I'm in complete shock. And I called Steve at the fire, my husband's on the fire department. I called Steve, and I said, Sydney's dead. And he's like, what? I'm like, Sydney's dead. And I ran out the door, and I'm thinking, I've got my other kids in high school, and Preston's on his way, and I called Steve, and I called 911. I figured at that point someone had called 911. And I'm going 120 to the apartment. And I called 911 en route to the apartment complex. And when I had gotten there, the whole way over, I'm trying to stay calm. And I'm completely just going, oh, please, please, God, don't let it be her. Please don't let it be her. Don't let it be her apartment. And I am just like, what? Please don't let it be her. Please don't let it be her. Please don't let it be her. And just praying. Like, it's, it's making deals. Please don't let it be her. And I'll never do anything bad again. And I'm just... Right. And... It was that kind of a thing, and I pulled up to the apartment, and there was crime scene tape, mm. and they had it blocked off by her apartment. And uh, I thought, okay, it might not be her. And I tried to get into the apartment, and they wouldn't let me go in. And I said, I need to get in there. It's my daughter's apartment. They go, you can't go in. Ma'am, I can't let you go in. And I said, please, I need to get in there. He goes, I can't let you in there. You can't go see your daughter. Mm. And so he said, ma'am, and I walked past, and I remember seeing people coming and going out of her apartment. And I looked over, and I looked on Preston's face, and I saw my sister there, and she had been crying. 
and I knew she was gone. And uh, it just, Steve got to the, Steve got to the apartment, and I mean, and that's how we found her. Mm-hmm. And she had been executed. He'd been shot in the face. Neo had been killed. He, Neo was executed. He was shot in the head, and Sydney was shot in the head. So both of them were shot in the head. Yeah. Okay. And very early on, the, po- the people that were there at the crime scene, Frankie was there, and a couple other people that were friends with Neo, and they immediately said that it was Shane Valentine that had killed him, and I didn't know who Shane Valentine was. Okay, wait a minute. Wait, and, wait, wait, um, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. So you said Frankie was there when... Frankie was there. She was there. Did you talk to her? I did talk to her. Okay, tell and me about really that conversation. You know, I, I don't... I don't... I don't remember... That necessarily Frankie was there and, and I don't know who she was with somebody I, I don't know if it was Kayla or somebody I don't remember who it was that she was with and you know she, of course she was very upset and when the police came out to question you know she had said it was it was she immediately said Shane had killed him and you know I'm I'm calling family Steve is there we're trying to figure out the kids social media is full, blowing up and you know we had the kids in school and so I was trying to call my family. Steve's trying to call his family. We're both completely distraught. They're asking us questions. So I didn't really communicate a lot with Frankie there that day. But what it was really interesting, Frankie sent a text message while she was there at the apartment complex and says, has anybody seen Sydney and Neo? <laughs> and she was there. That's really That's odd. Really odd. Yeah. It was really odd. And considering she knew at, she was the one that told Sydney, or she's the one that told Preston, Sydney and, or, you know, Lauren and Frankie told Preston that Sydney was dead. I don't know why she would have been asked, you know, saying 30 minutes later, has anybody talked to Sydney and Neo? She knew they were dead and she was at the apartment when she did, when she tweeted it. That's yeah. real interesting. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times I'm going to say a lot of times. And again, I, I'm not saying this is what she did. I'm going to say from other cases, um, a lot of times what you will find is when someone is involved or could, you know, know more than what they do. A lot of times, um, they will send phone calls or text after the person is deceased as a way of a cover-up. Again, I'm not saying that's what she did, um, so let's not misdrew my words. But it is very common for people to do that in, in cases. Frankie absolutely yeah. knows who did it if she wasn't involved. I know I that the police have, have told us that Frankie was the last person to see Sydney alive. I, I know feel that, like this was a situation yeah. where... A beautiful girl became part of the wrong crowd and she was stuck into a whole world of craziness that she didn't serve. So it's a bit of a sad case in that respect. You know, police had said she was not the intended target. Sydney very quickly was surrounded by wolves. You know, my niece Lauren is actually dating or was dating at the time the 911 caller that called in that was so unbelievably calm. When he called in, Lauren and Frankie and Sydney were inseparable. Now, speaking of that person that you said that was the person that called 911, uh, we're going to play that. 911 emergency? What's going on there? I walked into my friend's apartment and there's just blood everywhere. And I, I just okay. seen his feet on the ground and I seen her body on the ground. And I... So there's two people? Okay. Yes. Yeah, they were laying down in the. Yeah. And there's blood all over the wall. So, listening to that. What did what did you think when you heard that? You heard him, you know, explaining to the the nine one one operator, the blood on the walls, you know, everything else. Connie, what? Give us give us your feel on that. 
I, if I walked in and police have told me it was the bloodiest crime scene they have ever seen, I know that where Neil was killed, he was killed instantly. The blood on the walls, the blood all over the floor, and the bloodiest crime scene they've ever seen was Sydney's blood. I could not imagine walking into an apartment that his best friend was shot and goes in and see into the master bedroom and sees blood all over the wall and finds Sydney and you're that calm. I'm yeah. going to say something here. I personally have been somebody that walked into a room to a very, very horrendous crime with blood cl- covered floors, walls, even on the ceiling. And I had to be that person to call 911. And when I had to listen to that 911 call on jury stand for the jury trial, I had never heard myself that scared. I was beyond fear. And when I listened to that 911 call, there was no fear in that man's voice. Well, and he even mentioned the shooter and his friend are dead. How would you walk into a bloody crime scene like that? Your friend is found dead. They've been dead for about a day and a half. And the first thing that you you gather from this case, this this apartment is that it's a murder-suicide? Like, that would be the furthest thing from my mind. Exactly. Is that it's a murder-suicide. I mean, that would not even be in my thought, and I wouldn't... I, I mean, even if you were in shock, but the tone in his voice was not even shock. It no. wasn't. It was just like... It was just like, hey... And, I, and that's why I know... That's why I fully believe everybody knew they were dead before they... Before they this, this whole calling my son and doing all this was an orchestration that's what it was it completely and i i, I want to chime in i guess a few things number one like you said jackie when somebody calls 911 as an investigator when i hear a person's voice that calm um number one you just said it was his best friend so not only did he not identify them from a close personal relationship and we've talked about this prior in other podcasts when a person distances them, themselves when they have knowledge of a crime or if they did it even, they will identify the person, even if it's a close friend, not by their name. Even married couples will do this. At, let's say the husband shoots the wife. He will not identify her. He will distance himself from her. So number one, he distances himself and says the shooter and his, what did he say, his, his girlfriend or whatever is dead. So not only did he not identify these um, people as his close friends, you know, a normal person would say, my best friend's dead. I don't know what to do. You would hear this franticness in his voice, but he distanced himself, number one. That, that to me is the biggest red flag. Number two, a day and a half later, what made him decide to go over there and just open the door and check on him? That's number two. Number three, if I saw two dead people after I just opened a door, not only would I be terrified that I'm going to be shot, I don't know where the shooter is. He just automatically said, again, like you said, Connie, well, the shooter, and he already had this this game plan, the shooter and his girlfriend are dead. So he already had this orchestrated ideology in his mind, distanced himself, didn't identify even who he was to say, I'm his best friend. Oh, my gosh, I live next door. What the heck happened? You know, he's not even remotely personalized himself in this situation. He wants to remain anonymous, clearly, by the way his tone of voice is. So he definitely has knowledge in this. Um, I don't know what that knowledge is, but something is, is definitely fishy with just that phone call alone. 
Well, here's what's interesting. The night that on October 25th, the last thing that Sydney did before she was killed, and we figured they were based on based on information that the police have never told me officially what time they were killed. They said they can't determine that, which I find that hard to believe. But I have been told by, um, you know, uh, by the media and a, a judge that is involved in the case, she was told by um, the homicide detective on the case that they were killed at 1230. So at 1148 p.m. on October 25th, they were killed at 1230 a.m. on October 26th. So within 45 minutes of them being killed, supposedly, Sydney had called the Link Hotel. And the link, Sydney booked a room for October 25th, 26th, and the 27th, I think, checking out on the 28th. What I think is so odd is everybody was supposed to go hang out. They were all going to go to Dre's that night, and then everybody was going to go hang out at the hotel. No one showed up at the hotel. No one called Sydney. No one texted Sydney. No one Instagrammed Sydney. No one Snapchatted Sydney. No one tweeted Sydney. No one private messaged Sydney. Hey, where are you? And no one went to the apartment. So you're telling me a bunch of people are supposed to meet her at the hotel. Nobody shows up and nobody, she's not answering her phone when Frankie texted her five times. Sydney didn't answer, but you didn't bother. No one bothered. Not one person bothered to go over to see why no one showed up. For a day and a half? No, absolutely. People went into that apartment. I believe people went into that apartment, did what they wanted to do for the day and a half, came up with their stories, got everything clear, and then they made their 911 call. Because Dodge, or the, the 911 caller, yeah, the 911 caller lived in that same apartment complex. And the 911 caller is my niece's boyfriend, or was my niece's boyfriend at the time, and Sydney's best friend. I have a question about your niece, too, I guess, you know. Um, obviously, she was likely questioned. What does she know? I, truthfully, I learned very quickly on that the, that Laura, that she had been lying. She had said that she didn't know Sydney was going out with Neo. She told us that she didn't know that Sydney had gotten an apartment with Neo. She didn't know that the, she didn't know these people. She didn't know. I mean, she just acted like she didn't know anything. And it wasn't until a few months after I started looking through social media. And interestingly enough, I had asked her to help me go through and try to find clues or information. And what we found is that she had had two um, Instagram accounts, one with 200 Instagram followers, and she had one with 10,000 followers. She had pictures with Neo's friends. She had pictures with the 911 caller going back to January of 2016. She knew these people very, very well. And when she told me that she didn't know that Sydney had gotten an apartment with Neo, I find that very hard to believe that of all the apartments in the Las Vegas Valley, Sydney would get an apartment at the same apartment complex as her boyfriend. So for her to tell me she didn't know Sydney was going out with Neo, didn't know she was doing that, and unfortunately, I had given this the passwords and login information to Sydney's social media to be able to go in and see what could be found, and I gave the password to her, and mysteriously, all communication between Lauren and Frankie, Frankie and Lauren and, and Sydney, Sydney and Lauren and Frankie and Neo, all deleted. There's nothing. Do you believe your niece is in on the whole plot to cover up you know, the murder? Um, she was actually going to school out of state. I have been told by Frankie, or it, it has been mentioned on multiple occasions, that Lauren was here um, in Las Vegas at the time of the murder. I, I, I don't know. 
I don't, I think that Lauren continued her communication with Frankie for several months after the murders, even when Frankie was at that point considered a person of interest. She considered, and so I don't know if she knows anything, but if it was me and my best friend and my cousin had been killed, and one of these people have been, have been brought up as a potential person of, of interest, why did she continue to hang out with them? That's true. That's and that's she, and my she question. Has a, and she has a child by the 911 caller now. Oh, yeah, well, I agree. So why? Can, that, you just answered that well, question. Well, She's no, in it that was world. A, after a year, yeah. So, um, so unfortunately, I, I, don't have commun- I don't communicate with her anymore. I haven't communicated with her. Um, and because I, I feel like whether she knew something or not, she continued to befriend and hang out with the people that are suspects in killing her cousin. And I don't know how she could have even done that and called herself Sydney's best friend. It's very hard for me. I agree. And yeah, very hard yeah. for me. Where is yeah. the loyalty? And you know, and to uh, really interesting, her her father had made a comment while we were planning the funeral. She had, he had asked my sister in law. He said, "How do you make someone?" Now this is we had just found out we're planning city's funeral and his question to her was how do you make someone disappear off the internet now you're planning your niece's and my daughter's funeral and that is the question you ask my sister-in-law how do you make someone disappear because her husband is a tech is a computer guy now connie do you think it's possible that your niece was also isolated or threatened to not say anything do you feel like because it I, in my evidence and facts that I found, Neil was also into um, pimping and other illegal activities like that. Do you think she may have been caught up in that circle and threatened and isolated and maybe groomed into being shut up? I think, I think the difference between, I think the difference between um, the Lauren and Sid, Sydney was living here, and Sydney was surrounded by these people. Lauren was going to school out of state, but Lauren still came back and was involved with these people. So it's not like she was living here, they were threatening her life. She was going to school, you know, out of, out of state, but she was still continually involved with them. And I know that um, the 911 caller went up to um, where she was going to school for her graduation, for her college graduation. She's very smart. And so this, I think, was not a, I'm threatening your life and if you leave, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to kill your family. We know for a fact that Shane Valentine threatened to kill our, my family, Sydney's siblings, her friends. He was going to go to her work and kill her, you know, and that's what we've been told. And so her life was threatened. And so Sydney was a sitting duck. If she went and talked to her cousin and said, I'm scared after Shane Valentine threatened him on October 8th, or Sydney says, I don't want to be around these guys anymore. Well, her cousin was going to say no, because Neo and her boyfriend were, were, were buddy buddies. You know what I mean? Our buddy buddies. Yeah. You talk to Frankie and say, Frankie, I'm scared. Why? Well, Frankie's a prostitute. I mean, like, there right. was nowhere Sydney was going to go. She wasn't going to come home, because if she came home, she would have felt like she failed. She would have never come home and put our family in harm's way. She would have never told Preston, who she was so close to her brother. She would have never told anyone. She was surrounded by people, and they were, they were controlling who she was talking to. They were controlling her phone. They were controlling her friends. They were controlling everything. And for that continuation of that relationship, 
for I don't even I don't know how long they are I don't know how long after I mean well over a year year and a half after there was still a relationship with these people that are involved in the murder and that lifestyle that should have been when her cousin got shot in the face that would have been enough for for me to step away well you know these younger these younger kids uh, not they think differently than what we do Connie now let me ask you something Connie you said that this Shane Valentine had threatened uh, your daughter and her boyfriend. What what was yeah. the reason behind that? So what we have been told by Frankie, um, it was over a gun. We know that Neo and Shane were um, allegedly, we've been told by the police, that they were involved in home invasions. Neo was involved in some gang affiliation, is my understanding. We've been told that he was involved in drug dealing, um, possibly some gun dealing, and he was involved in pimping and so the reason why he could have been killed or the target could have been for there could have been a a million and one reasons why he would have been killed what frankie had told us when we originally were talking to her was they were arguing over a gun and she said frankie when neil called when shane called looking for neil frankie had answered the phone and frankie had disrespected shane so frankie was part of the reason why they were arguing because of how Frankie had disrespected Shane on the phone. Well, she was on Sydney's cell phone talking to Shane and Shane thought it was Sydney. And even though Frankie told him after it wasn't Sydney, he didn't care at that point because she had been disrespecting him on in on the phone. So Frankie was Frankie was supposed to be killed too. Shane was going to kill Sydney, Frankie, and Neo. Oh, wow. Now, who did that story? Did that story come from Frankie or how did you from hear Frankie. that story? From so, Frankie. Yeah, so I, I, I question that, that story. No, it's cooperated oh. with the police. Oh, no, it's okay. backed up by so the police. It is so they were at nine okay. yeah, they were at Red Rock. Okay. They they met they met Shane Valentine at Red Rock Casino and the argument the argument continued there. They separated. They they Frankie and Sydney and Neil left. Shane went a different direction. Shane drove over to Nehemiah Kaufman's family home and there was i guess i understand there were some text messages going back and forth that morning for the detectives they said that there was communication that they were going to kill that neil was going to kill or shane was going to kill him shane went over to nehemiah's home called him out said come out you're a dead man shot into the house ran his car into the closed garage door and threw a rock through the window and continued to threaten him so and that, that was nehemiah's that, parents home that correct? was nehemiah's parents home correct. and he wasn't there okay Gotcha. Nehemiah was not there, but his mother and his siblings, and so the house there was four or five. So that people tells in the you home. what he's capable of. He's very he much capable over, of following through with his threats. He absolutely. He went over there to kill somebody, and I find it odd that 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 the shooting and part of the problem with this case is on October eighth, when they shot into that house, there were eyewitnesses. It was at eleven thirty in the morning on a Saturday. There were eyewitnesses that watched Shane heard him call out the police um closed the case less than a week later due to insufficient evidence for prosecution per um judge tobias and it said that they closed the case down due to insufficient um evidence for prosecution but here's what's interesting they never retrieved the bullet that shane shot into the house that's they never bothered to retrieve the bullet no they didn't retrieve the the bullet yep they they, they retrieved they pulled the rock they 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 um, gathered the rock. They gathered the emblem and some plastic that had fallen off of Shane's car when he ran his car into the closed garage door. But they did not 
pull the bullet. They did not retrieve the bullet that was shot into the house, in the, and it was in the ceiling. It's crazy. They could have matched Why? that with whatever bullets that, well, you know, Sydney and Nehemiah were shot with, possibly. Well, and, and here's what's crazy. How can you close a case down due to insufficient evidence, and you didn't even collect the evidence? It wasn't until after the homicides happened that my detective went back to the Kaufman residence. He, he, he went into the evidence room to match the ballistics from the, from the bullet that the kids were killed with and the, the bullet. There was no bullet in evidence from that shooting. He had to go back to the house with the crime scene analyst and retrieve the bullet after the murders happened. Was there so a match? Me, was there any matching? I don't, I don't know. But I find it interesting that the police shut that case down. We know that, that, that there are several cases per, you know, information that's been provided to the media through different judicial sources that the police were protecting Shane Valentine. And there were cases that they knew that he was involved in that they never bothered to look into. Judge Tobiasen is one that um, for 18 months she contacted vice detectives, told him that Shane was running guns, running girls, selling drugs, gave vice detectives his location, his address, all the information that they needed to offer to issue search warrants, and vice never did anything, never once. Now, wasn't there a relation with two of the vice officers to somebody involved? So, so there's, um, so Shane has allegedly, and this is where the investigate, there's some other investigations and some things going on that are far more complex re involving allegations of Shane and ties to, um, to a, a kingpin pimp and he's a music producer, Molly Mall. And so there have been allegations that Shane is tied and that's why the police protected him. Um, because of that and cops were on the payroll of Molly Ball and they were paid to protect Molly Ball's pimps I don't know if that's true but that's what's been brought up but it would you know there's pro obviously a probability considering the police weren't trying and prosecuting him part of the problem was on this case also in the vice unit Frankie's godfather Greg Flores he's a lifelong friend and godfather of Frankie He's a current vice detective, and Greg Flores has actively worked on this investigation. And I found out in September there was a search warrant that was issued in April of 2017, and my detective said that they, it, that they issued a search warrant on Frankie Zappia and, and Dominic Thompson, her pimps, houses and cars. He said it was like getting, it was like pulling teeth because they ran the search warrant through vice. He said it was like pulling teeth to get them to do this search warrant. They did not want to issue the search warrant. I found out when we met with Dosh and Grimmett in September of 2018 that it, was, that it was actually Greg Flores, Frankie's godfather, that issued the search warrant. The godhood and the vice detective, when you've got a, an FBI investigation into vice corruption that are on the payroll, you've got a, a family friend, lifelong family friend of Frankie, and I can tell you, Shane, Greg Flores was involved in a case involving Ariane Zappia, Frankie's half-sister, where he was the lead detective. The pimp involved in that case was Anthony Galassi. They charged him with human trafficking and kidnapping. It was 15 to life and life without parole. Greg Flores was actually the lead detective on that case, and Shane, um, Anthony Galassi walked with the, the DA's office, cut him a deal, he walked with 120 days time served, and he had a federal extradition warrant on his head for a federal extradition warrant. 
that he was facing in the Bay Area. And he walked out of the Clark County Detention Center, and Greg Flores was the lead detective on that case. And the criminal defense attorney said that that he did not, that that was a big problem in the case, that the lead detective did not disclose the familiar relationship with the victim. Well, Greg Flores turned around and did it again with Frankie issuing search warrants and participating in this investigation. And as many times as I told my detectives that that Greg was related and was a lifelong family friend, the police told me, I don't know what I'm talking about. They've never heard that. There is There are articles written that confirm that. Well, and then you've got a situation where Jared Grimmett is my homicide detective. Jared Grimmett was leaking information from the very beginning of the homicide, telling Judge Melanie Tobiasen, Melanie Andrus Tobiasen, she's currently a justice of the peace. She's currently on the bench. She's a sitting judge. He was providing information to the judge about the evidence, the text messages found on the cell phones, the DNA evidence that was found for months into the investigation. What we found out in interviews is that Melanie Tobias and her daughter Sarah were directly related and involved in Shane Valent with Shane Valentine. Sarah, her daughter, for a year and a half prior, and Judge Tobias in an interview stated that she threatened Shane Valentine through one of his attorneys and told him if he came around her daughter, she'd take care of him herself. And she also stated that she went to Shane Valentine's house and kicked in his door. So why is my lead detective giving information to a sitting judge as her friend about Shane Valentine, the DNA evidence, the evidence, and everything that they have on this case? And the judge knew Shane was a suspect, and she knew at the time she was getting the information that she had threatened him, she had kicked in his door, and that her daughter had had a relationship with him. Okay. I got a couple questions. Now, one of them, uh, give me a short version on answer. When you we was talking earlier, you said something about the friends haven't heard anything from Sydney and this Neo. It's been a day and a half. Okay, what about you? You you and your family? Y'all didn't hear from your daughter from a, a day and a half. Was that normal? Um. Yeah. So so we have a family thread. So it's, it's all of us that's on our family thread. And so we'll respond and, you know, and everybody just does our own family thread. And sometimes Sydney would respond and sometimes she wouldn't. And, you know, and so, but we had talked to her that night. So on October 25th, Preston had talked to her and she had been on our thread. So to not talk to her on the 26th wasn't uncommon to like for her not to respond or not to, you know, not to be on the text. And then, you know, I mean, by the time the 27th rolled around at lunchtime, she was, she was dead. We, we found out she was dead. So it's hmm. not like there was two or three or four days. It was really technically a day and a half that we hadn't, that she hadn't responded in the text messages. Okay. And that wasn't, that wasn't uncommon. It's not like she responded all the time. Okay. Okay. Great. Um, I yeah. got an understanding of that now. So let me ask yeah. you this. Now we want to go back. Yeah. You, the niece, did she ask for the passwords to the social media accounts? Did she like, how did she come to you about that? I, I had offered them to her because I am not very savvy on Snapchat, and I knew that, you know, Sydney communicated. Sydney was on her phone nonstop. She was texting and talking to her friends, like, all the time. So when, when, there, are no, when there is no communication on her phone, 
it's like, you know what, there's got to be something on Instagram and social media. So when I had given her, you know, and I don't know if she did it, if she had given the passwords and information to Frankie and they were going through her stuff and deleted it, but I had given that information to her to help me search through Sydney social media to connect names that I could provide to the police and maybe there were secret messages secret conversations or private conversations that may have led or provided information as to what was going on because Sydney's phone was damaged. When she was shot, the police said that her phone was soaked with blood and her, her hardware was damaged on the phone. So there was no information that could be retrieved. And so we had to go through our computers to access her information. But she was on my cell phone. Yeah, she was on our phone plan. That's why I knew no one no one had texted her except Frankie that morning. Well, let me ask you. So, if you if yeah. you were trying to find out why why give her the passwords when you can just take them straight to the police and let them look? Um, because at that point, I was starting to find inconsistencies that were concerning. I knew that at, right out of the gate that I we learned that Shane Valentine was a pimp. We learned that Nehemiah was a pimp. We knew that we knew at that point that Frankie was a prostitute. We learned that her, her godfather or her, her stepfather, excuse me, Dan O'Geersdorf, at one time had been a vice detective. We had heard that Greg Flores, her godfather, was a vice detective. So very quickly, very quickly, I, I'm thinking you've got pimps and prostitutes whose family members are in vice who, co- who investigate pimps and prostitutes. Something, this is, this is not going, this is not going to go well. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and and what's also crazy is it was in October, it was last year, that my detectives asked me who our cell carrier was. They had had all of our text messages, all of her social media logins. She had her phone records. They had the phone records from the day of the murder. They had everything. And, in a, and as of October of 2018, I find multiple discrepancies in the autopsy report as many they have sydney in two different outfits three different colored bras they have her at two different times of death they have a they have a wrong date on the thing of of november 1st when you know she was pronounced dead on october 27th they've got her in yoga pants black shirt hot pink bra then they've got her in yoga pants gray bra um, maroon shirt then they've got her in a tan bra I mean, they've got all sorts of crazy things. You know, the police said there were no signs of struggle. Sydney was beaten, and there were visible signs of struggle. There were severe burn, bruises on her. Either she was in an abusive, physically abusive relationship, or and or she was abused. She was they roughed her up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, now speaking of the autopsy report, Paige, did you review the autopsy report? I gave it a brief review, yeah. Okay, so what did you find? I mean, other than having marijuana in her system, there wasn't um, the discrepancies between the outfits that were there because I have seen the maroon t-shirt and the grey bra, so there are some discrepancies there, um, but we don't know whether that's misinformation or whatever else it could be. Okay. Part of that is one of them would be from the autopsy, and the other report is the crime scene investigation report. And what I was told by the crime scene investigator is the lighting in the apartment wasn't very good. Um, that le- that room, that apartment should have been lit up like noonday sun. She said, well, maybe the clothes dried from the time we bagged her up and we did the autopsy. The lighting in an autopsy is really bright. I said, well, we know they'd been dead about 36 hours, so I'm going to figure that any blood that was on Sydney 
was probably dried at that point. And it really wouldn't have mattered if she had been, if you found her on the, you know, the, the 12 o'clock on the 27th, and by the time she did her autopsy on the 28th, she had been dead 36 hours. But there's also some discrepancies. You know, we had a, a coroner that, or some medical people looking through it, and they're very concerned about the lividity and the process of the lividity and the rigor mortis and the, and the timing and what the information that was in the case. There, There's some serious discrepancies and inconsistencies in the autopsy. And I don't, I don't know all the details to them, but they said your, 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 the least of your concerns should be the clothing. There are things that are far more serious in this autopsy report that you should be worried about. Number one, I'm happy that you're bringing your daughter's case to light, and and I say this uh, with with all the respect because I know how hard it is. Well, I don't personally know how hard it is, but I I know how difficult it could be for you to air the quote-unquote dirty laundry you know a lot of parents don't want to share this side of that world and so i i give you a lot of respect for doing that and also i'm happy you are willing to talk with us about it because a lot of parents and just society needs to be aware this isn't stuff that you just see on tv this world exists it does um and it's very easy it doesn't matter what socioeconomic uh, background a person comes from. It doesn't matter what their color is, what their culture is. They are very, they, especially females, they're susceptible to this world, especially the nice, naive, come from a good family. Um, they have, you know, you have all of her family members that love her and support her. Unfortunately, she is an easy target, just like you said. So I appreciate that you're bringing this to light. And I guess if you can share anything, what would you say to any parent or anyone with any family members that start having suspicions or start seeing changes in their daughters? What What's your advice? What do you suggest? Hindsight. What, hindsight's twenty twenty. So what can you share with us to share with everyone else? Um, <clears throat> you know, this is something, this is taboo. And, you know, the police have said that they, that, that they were grooming Sydney. So whether she was involved, you know, they, didn't, they don't have record or proof that, that she was involved in it, but they were very much grooming her. But what I will tell you is that you have judges' daughters here in Las Vegas. You have sitting judges' daughters that were involved in prostitution. You have multiple judges' daughters that are involved in prostitution. You have an FBI agent who is the lead investigator for the attorney general for the state of Nevada. There are articles about her that was involved in prostitution. You've got DAs, daughters that are involved. I mean, you've got these – are, these are girls and people that are coming from high-income, high-educational uh, homes – and so when you talk about, you know, people would go, oh, she was stupid, she, was, she wasn't that smart, she must have, no. These girls are coming from the creme de la creme homes as far as, you know, um, coming from great homes and, and, and from high income homes, high education, you know, high, high educational backgrounds. There are no boundaries to who could or would be susceptible to this. These girls, are the very best because they probably make these pimps the most money and they aren't savvy to this lifestyle. 
you know, you get some girl or some boy on the street that's very really street smart, they would pick up on the games that are being played. These girls aren't, aren't savvy to those games. They were never raised around games like this for the most part, for the most part. So what I would say is, you know, people want to be embarrassed. You want to get to the truth, then you better talk. Then you better talk about the truth. And you can't pick and choose what truths need to be told. And to get to the truth, you have to put yourself out there and you have to be vulnerable. Sydney and Neo, I don't care what you were right. It doesn't matter what they were involved in. How they were killed and how brutally they were killed was because of the lifestyle and things and the people that were involved in these things. And as a parent, I will tell you, we had warning signs going off. I remember Steve woke up one night, there were three times in, the, in October. He woke up and, and he was sitting up in bed and I said, what's the matter? He goes, I have a bad feeling. I'm going to move into Sydney's apartment so no one can go in and hurt her. There was another time and we were, we were I mean, it was like walking on pins and needles here because there was just this this apprehension and there was this parent's intuition in our, and as much as we were talking to Sydney, she wasn't divulging any information. But you know, she came home, they had, they had threatened to kill Neil and went over to his family's house and, and, <laughs> and shot into the house. She certainly wasn't gonna come home here. And the second time, Steve, my husband, he was awake and I'm like, what in the world's going on? He goes, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna take a lawn chair and I'm gonna sit in front of her door so no one can go in and hurt our daughter. The last time he was so angry he was so like this this like lights this this parents intuition is going off on like high alert and he said I'm gonna go over there and I'm gonna drag her out of that house to get her out of that house so she is safe and we didn't and as much as we talked to Sydney and we asked her and we asked her and we pleaded and we told her we would pay her rent we would told her we would do whatever we needed to we told her we would get her away we would cover her rent we would pay off her lease Whatever we needed to do, we would do it. And she never told us what was going on. So if your parents' intuition and, and you've got this, you know, these, these, you know, warning signs going off internally, there's a reason why. And if you think that it would never happen to you in a million years, did I ever think that this would happen to my family? The day that we got that call, our life was, we were, my family was given a life sentence. We will deal with this our entire lives. There will always be firsts for our family and we will never ever ever fully fully heal you never do and the and the ripple effect of what this has done and so if your children don't be naive enough to think that you are prone to the target of these these predators they are calculated they are organized they are methodical and they are experts at deceit and so right. i would keep that keep those communication lines open Okay, okay. Keep those communication lines open. That's right. Keep great advice. That yeah, is that great is advice. Great Trust advice. your instincts. Yes. And yes. don't don't give up. Don't quit fighting no. for your kids. Connie, we really appreciate you taking the time to be on, on the show. We are praying for you and your family. And we really hope that one day your family get justice. Because you and your husband deserve to get justice. And, and I'm just truly sorry that you went through this listening to your story was tough it really was all right guys we getting ready to get up out of here and jackie lay it on us how how everybody can hear us you can follow crime pursuit podcast and listen to our cases from iHeartRadio, amazon alexa spotify google podcast facebook tune in itunes soundcloud twitter Stitcher, YouTube, Podbeam, Apple Podcast, and Instagram. And don't forget to visit our website, 
www.crimepursuitpodcast.com. Now come to the Facebook page um, and, and mingle with us. We, we, we'll, we'll talk back with you. We'll hang out with you. We're good right. people. So if you got any story suggestions, don't, don't, you feel free to let us have them. We, we, we'll work with you. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. all right, guys, we're going to get up out of here. See you next time.